The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Right, would you believe it? It's the second half of the year. First of July, you're watching Scorebox with Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your second half of the year headlines. The Fed's preferred measure of inflation eases slightly but still holds stubbornly high at levels not seen since the 1980s. As the S&P 500 rounds out, wait for it, its worst first half since 1970. Asian markets fall in their first day of the new quarter, the new half, but Chinese stocks are the relative outperformers as a private survey shows factory activity rebounding at the fastest pace in more than a year. German industrial giant Siemens books a major write-down on its stake in Siemens Energy, warning the struggling firm will leave a 2.8 billion euro hole in its bottom line for the third quarter. And RTX reportedly sweeps in to buy embattled crypto lender BlockFi in a $25 million fire sale just a week after Sam Bankman-Fried's firm offers a $250 million emergency lifeline. Just as the market was rounding out to the first half, we had key data to assess as well. And a lot of investors looking for a base on markets and hoping we're seeing in the inflation numbers that we may be peak levels. But to the data, as U.S. core personal consumption expenditures, the Fed's favoured inflation gauge increased by 4.7 percent from a year ago. That is slightly lower than April's reading and also below analyst estimates. Well, the data showed a slight moderation. The headline figure, though, was still 6.3%, holding near highs not seen since the 1980s. Uh, right, I'm supposed to be at the wall, but I was just looking at... Um, there's a CNBC headline, um, and it's by one of our staff writers, Karen. And, and, and I, this gentleman is a brilliant writer, so I, I, but I'm loathe to disagree, but I'm going to disagree. Um, it says this was the worst first half in 50 years um, for the S&P, which is unambiguous on the, on, on, on the data front, of course, uh, since a magnificent year that was 1970, when a very great financial journalist came into the world. No, not Jeff. He's older than that. Uh, anyway, but, 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 um, and it wasn't Karen either. She's younger. Um, but, but it says it was all down to one thing. And, and it says inflation. Now, this is a great piece. I think it's by Jeff Cox. And I, uh, but I, I, I think you're wrong, Jeff. Cox, not Cutmore. <laughs> Wouldn't dare to do that on Friday. Uh, but, but I think it's wrong. Um, I won't bring Karen in just yet on this one because I know she's, she's, she's working on another story at the second. But, but uh, it says it's down to inflation. She's actually eating a porridge. But, um, but, but, but I, I don't think it is. I, I think we wouldn't have had the worst performance in the first half of a year since 1970 if we weren't primed for it because of a whole host of other factors as well. Do you see where I'm going on this one? Inflation is high. It is very high. It is the highest since the 1970s. But would we have had the worst performance on the markets if valuations hadn't been excessive, if the expectations on growth stocks, which have now been completely revamped, hadn't been changed during that period, if we didn't have some of the highest levels of indebtedness on non-financial corporate debt that we've ever seen in the history of markets. So let me ask you the question, ladies and gentlemen, would we have fallen so aggressively if A, we weren't valued so highly, uh, B, the expectations on a load of stocks were, quite frankly, excessive and were never going to be realised, and C, the amount of debt on these companies 
hadn't been so excessive. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to Karen in a few moments. I guess you come to Karen now. The, good, good. Has I breakfast. I think it's the perfect porridge analogy, isn't it? Not too hot, not too cold is what we talked about. Well, I was coming to you, then I saw you put a great dollar. Like, Goldilocks <laughs> would be ashamed it's well, so, such a large point. amount. We've had Goldilocks on the markets for so long. It's been sort of perfect conditions, effectively. But finally, we had a little bit too hot on valuations. A little bit too cold on the growth story now lately. And there's just been, I think, not perfect conditions for a lot of investors. Hence the stock market trade you've witnessed. Yeah, and I think they were perfect conditions for irrational exuberance uh, and you and I have seen this a dozen times over the years as well anyway let's move on because we've got Dave Pierce waiting as well and, and he's got another great voice on this one so we were down across the board um, you know the data here now I'm, why don't I just go straight to the S&P uh, and just show you that data in fact I've already said most of what I'm gonna say so we will go today fairly quickly down 21% year-to-date as well um, down aggressively uh, in the quarter 16.5 percent as well we can move on to the Nasdaq as well and just show you what it did in the last quarter which was down 22 2.4%, I believe. Uh, year to date, though, uh, down 29. And there you go. Yeah, today's change. Well, it's not today's change. It's because it's, it's, I'm slightly colorblind. So I'm. Hang on. I missed that one. Uh, there you go. Look, I got out of reach. If only it was Becky Meehan, who, if any of you remember, she was about eight foot, but she was a brilliant athlete and also a very good for the top of the wall. So anyway, so down 22.4% in the last quarter, uh, down 1.3% yesterday. And the VIX, the volatility index, which quite frankly, um, apparently it's a gauge of fear. I think that's absolute palpable nonsense. It's just an insurance product. It's just another derivative. Don't worry about this gauge of fear nonsense. Uh, up 66% year to date. But let's get to Dave Pierce. Anyway, I've mentioned him already. Uh, he is the director of strategic initiatives uh, and joins us now. Dave, really nice to see you. Happy second half of the year. <laughs> um, it looks... Yeah, well, it's, it's great to be here. Well, it can only be better for some of the balls, I presume, in the second half of the year. In fact, why don't we make that a question? Is it going to be better in the second half of the year? Ooh, that, that's a hard one, isn't it? <laughs> Throw me out of softball to begin with. Uh, I, I think we're still headed the wrong direction right now. And there's, I can't see how we can stop the inflation that we've got going on. We've got interest rates that are going up dramatically, but we're still seeing lots of governments that are offering incentives to their people to try to help compensate for this. I don't see any way that we're going to really recover the price of oil and get that down. So some of the real basics in our in our lives are just that they're, they're still kind of out of control. And until we can get our arms around that, I, I just don't see how the, it can be a lot better. Um, can, could we get to where we're kind of getting flatter? Yeah, probably. But as far as getting really better, I, I have a hard time seeing that right now. Yeah, I hear you, David. I, I have a lot of sympathy from your point of view. I mean, look, some of the strategists will point out that there was a mighty old rally after that big decline back in 1970. The other thing I will say, which makes me slightly less curmudgeonly than I normally am, is the fact that realisation that valuations are slightly more realistic. Now, I know that's only based on the premise that earnings will be as advertised at the moment. And if we do see a lot of earnings revisions and margin problems going forward, then of course the PE that we have now isn't actually accurate. So are valuations more accurate? Are they more enticing? Or again, just a little bit of caution there. Uh, I think that they're a lot more enticing than they were a few months ago, obviously, but um, I'm still holding off right now. I am I'm not putting all my eggs back in the in the in the markets right now because I think that we've still got some a ways to go. I think there's going to be some still some additional retracements that we're going to have in the marketplace. And I think that that is probably necessary. There is it, when you have interest rates doing what they are, it's really hard to keep things stable and 
just working and going one direction. You've we've got to have uh, you know you've been in the markets as long as I have, and I'm I'm sure and you know, you know there's always rebounds, there's always corrections, and then there's always that's always followed up by uh, times of plenty. And I we've had a lot of plenty over the last few years, and it's it's time. You know, it's not surprising to see a correction happening like this. Dave, we've been talking a lot about dynamic investing, dynamic strategies for years now, but uh, very relevant to the first half of the year, just how quickly investors had to change tact from, you know, a, a pace of uh, rate increases to rapid increases. And now the, the situation perhaps with stagflation or even a recession, it feels like there are more twists and turns ahead. And if I can just take you to the sectors then, because it feels that investors have been trying to position on markets by taking bets off, but also rotating by sectors. And if you look at the slump we saw in FANG plus stocks to the tune of uh, 43 plus percent versus about 20 percent stripped off the banks. What do you think rotation will look like in the second half of this year based on these twists and turns we still have ahead? Well, you know, we have seen a lot of the tech stocks come off and, you know, you talked about the FANG stocks and that's something that those are the ones that we've seen the biggest gains in. The stocks that seem to be best, in my opinion, are stocks in commodities and, you know, the things that people need to have every day, the necessities, the, you know, uh, health care, um, you know, anything to do with, you know, food and, you know, clothing and, and, thing, and things like that. Um, housing, I'm not quite sure on that one. That one's kind of up in the air because with the way interest rates are going, that's a long-term big investment. So even though that is a you know, kind of a stable thing, I think that we're going to see some, uh, you know, a little bit of withdrawal in the housing market. I think you have to with the, the way interest rates are going because prices are just going way up. But I, I would stick with more staples. And Dave, can I ask you about the data? I mean, we had the PCE yesterday, the inflation numbers, not as hot as the numbers could have been. But that said, it doesn't really seem as though the data is reinforcing some expectations out there that inflation has peaked yet. I, I don't think it has. Uh, I, I think it is still going on, and even with the it, severe interest rate increases that we've seen, I, you've just got to think. You think about the main things that people are consuming. I mean, you, the price of gas and oil go into so many things that we consume, not just the the fuel we put onto our cars. It's it's heating, it's uh, the containers that we use, it's it's everything that we have in our lives. And until there is some type of a resolution with what's going on in Russia right now in the war in Ukraine and or there is time for the oil companies to be able to ramp up their production, which does not happen overnight. That's going to be a six month at a minimum process. And then you've got to really wonder how willing they are going to be to to really jump in with both feet to ramp up production when we might have an end of the Ukraine war and then the whole Russian supply is back in the marketplace and 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 then we're we've got an oversupply of oil and the the prices you know drop through the floor so i think there's some caution in the oil industry and they are which is i think justified and but until we get that under control i i don't see that inflation can stop
Yeah, I, I hear you. And, and the one thing about, I mean, you say I've been around quite a while. Unfortunately, I have. Um, and the one thing about uh, the oil market is it always uh, surprised you. For instance, from 2011 to 2014, we we're all waiting for the oil price to decline. And it stayed stubbornly above 100 bucks, if I remember correctly, as yeah. well. And then suddenly it dropped off a cliff as well. So when it changes, it changes aggressively. So I, I think you're spot on, Dave. I think the industry is very, very cautious about what the politicians are now telling it to do compared to what they were telling it to do last year. Uh, and the year before that as well. So where does one put one's money to find not only a safe haven at the moment, but actually a decent bit of income? Well, if you look at, you know, I'm a currency expert. And so I, everything to me kind of goes back to the currency markets. And I look at where the professionals are putting their, their money at and where is, what's the strongest currency in the world right now? It's the dollar. Um, the Japanese yen is really weak. The, the pound is weak. The euro is weak. And so the smart money seems to be heading to putting their funds in the U.S. because it, uh, it's been a traditionally a safe haven and money is flowing here into the U.S. It's obviously not going into the stock market. It's going into bonds. It's going into safer investments. It's going into, and I still think that there's a lot of demand for real estate, not just residential, but commercial real estate. There seems to be huge demand for that as well. So I think that there's a lot of money moving into the states, moving into um, things that are tangible assets rather than just speculative assets. I think that, you know, we look at the whole Bitcoin and cryptocurrency world. There's so many people that were just wanting to jump on the bandwagon and throwing everything that they had at that in, you know, in hopes of becoming billionaires. And I think that there's a lot of people learned a lesson that something that can go up really fast can go down just as fast as well. So I think there's a lot more caution in the market now than there than there was even two months ago. And people are looking for a little bit more stable return on their investments. And, you know, getting a three, four, five percent return right now sounds really, really good. Whereas, you know, six months ago, if you weren't getting, you know, double digits a month, it sounded horrible. It's, it's funny how this comes around, isn't it? If you've been around long enough as well, you realise that the double-digit incline, inclines in the value of your portfolio, they don't last forever. Um, Dave, I, I, by the way, I've done something erroneous. I've, I've said happy second half of the year to you. It's not, is yeah. it, in Utah? It's only... But, well, not quite. No, you've got 46 uh, you know, I'm, minutes to I'm go. I'm on board with you. I'll tell you what, yeah. I'm on the other side. It's great, the second half of the year. You should, you should come is over. I'm trying to get back over there so I can be in studio with you. Uh, well, well uh, I'll tell you, when you're there yet. in uh, 46 minutes, we'll, we'll let you know what it's like. It's amazing. <laughs> so much better. So much more relieving you know, that the market hasn't declined at all this yeah. half of the year. It's not open yet, Steve. Some of it's open. <laughs> not here in Europe. We're still waiting for it. <laughs> oh, Bitcoin's open. No if it feels Bitcoin's great. open. The currency markets are open. Yeah, what do you need? So Hong Kong's up. open. Four hour trading. We're going. Second half. Here we are. We get some streamers. We do a little bit of cheerleading. You know. oh, I haven't had a drink this half of the year. Another <laughs> have I. <laughs> I don't think anyone at CNBC has actually. Oh, I don't know. That production team has. I tell you, the way they're putting that rundown together today. As you pointed, I have had some porridge though. Coming up on the show, Chinese President Xi Jinping swears in former security chief John Lee as Hong Kong's new chief executive. We're live on the ground with the latest next.
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Right, Chinese manufacturing activity has returned to growth after three months of declines. According to the latest private Kaishin survey, PMI for June came in at 51.7, expanding at its fastest rate in 13 months. Well, Sam joins us this morning. Sam, just tell us a little bit about this um, Kaishin survey. Good morning to you. Factory activity at the smaller and private firms in China grew at the fastest pace in 13 months in June. The Taishin manufacturing PMI snapping three months of contraction and beating market expectations. The big up in activity was consistent with the official survey, which looks at the bigger and state-owned firms and perhaps slightly more convincing in terms of the recovery, given the smaller companies have been harder hit. Things improved last month as COVID curbs eased. Shanghai, of course, a critical manufacturing hub, lifted its lockdowns and policymakers rolled out more support, some of which has been targeted at the SMEs. That helped production hit the highest level since November 2020. New orders meantime returned to growth and delivery times also improved, suggesting the supply chain bottlenecks and logistical disruptions have stabilised thanks to some of these government measures to smooth things out out, which should bode well for exports. But factories remained cautious about bringing on more staff. The employment gauge contracted for a third month, underscoring how challenging uh, this is for the economy, facing a record high jobless rate in the major cities, a weak property market and also sluggish consumption. We'll get a read on how the smaller firms have been holding up in the services sector when we get that survey out next week. In Singapore, I'm Sam Vardis. Back to you. Chinese President Xi Jinping has sworn in former security chief John Lee as Hong Kong's new chief executive. On the same day, China commemorates the 25th anniversary of the city's handover from Britain. The Chinese leader said the one country, two systems principle was a time-tested creation, while calling for greater stability in the city over the next five years. Emily joins us with more from Hong Kong. Emily, you've been battling the elements there all day, I can see. Just tell us about uh, the celebrations and how they've played out. Hi there, Karen. Good to see you. Good morning, guys. And it is T3 here in Hong Kong, so uh, we got the gusts of wind and a bit of rain that we're dealing with now. Uh, but it is the 25th anniversary of Hong Kong's handover. It is a public holiday today, and we mark the SAR Establishment Day and President Xi Jinping returning to Hong Kong. It's uh, been five years since he was last here. Also marks his first trip off the mainland since the COVID outbreak hit two and a half years ago. So it's a very big day here uh, in Hong Hong Kong. He arrived by train yesterday. Uh, there was a series of events that he took part in. Uh, he went back to Shenzhen to spend the night and then back into Hong Kong this morning for the official events, which included uh, the flag raising ceremony. He didn't take part in that, but then the officiating of the swearing in of the sixth government here in Hong Kong 
helmed by now Chief Executive John Lee. President Xi Jinping, in his speech, which lasted over 30 minutes, hailed the success of the one country, two systems principle. He said that since the return to Chinese rule, nothing has stopped Hong Kong's advance. One country, two systems has been a great initiative, and there is no reason to change a good system. This is President Xi Jinping. Today, I wish to highlight once more that the policy of one country, two systems have been tested and proved time and again meets the fundamental interests of the country and the Chinese nation and those of Hong Kong and Macau. It enjoys the full support of more than 1.4 billion people of the motherland, and it has the unanimous endorsement of Hong Kong and Macau residents and is widely recognized by the international community, and there is no need to change such a system. She says that in the next five years, Hong Kong has both opportunities and challenges, uh, but there will be more opportunities than challenges. Now, uh, for John Lee, the newly sworn in chief executive of Hong Kong, in his inauguration speech, he was talking about the national security law in which he had a big role in uh, implementing here in Hong Kong. Uh, he says that now we're fostering a new chapter for the city uh, with great importance attached through teamwork. This is what he had to say say about the national security law. With the enactment and implementation of the Hong Kong national security law, Hong Kong has made it to restore order from chaos. The improvement of the electoral system has enabled the implementation of the principle of patriots administering Hong Kong. The improved electoral system upholds the principle of one country, two systems, accords with the actual situation of Hong Kong and caters for the needs of Hong Kong's development. It is therefore imperative that we should cherish and uphold the system for a long time to come and we should make good use of it to affect sound governance. John Lee saying that uh, the national security law has helped to restore order from chaos. Uh, President Xi Jinping uh, capping off his trip here in Hong Kong. Uh, just leaving a short 15 minutes ago, he left at 1 o'clock local time via train uh, back to the mainland. And the expectation now is that uh, Chief Executive John Lee will be holding a press conference meeting the media uh, following the president's departure. Emily, you're spelling out uh, business as usual today. You mentioned T3 alert level, though. What uh, level does a typhoon need to get to before business really shuts down across the city? Uh, that will have to be a T8, and uh, the storm, according to the Hong Kong Observatory, is uh, still a ways away. It is not clear whether or not the uh, Signal 8 will be necessary unless there is a pickup in winds and the storm comes a little bit closer. Uh, we should be okay for now. A T8 is when uh, the city goes into shutdown and everybody needs to go home and uh, basically uh, stay away from the elements. Uh, but uh, we're still in a T3, so uh, many people out here in a Tim Sachre with me as it is a public holiday. Uh, hopefully you should still be able to look over my shoulder and see the Hong Kong Convention Center uh, just over my shoulder. Earlier this morning, uh, there was quite the scene out here. We had uh, the fly past with the uh, government helicopters as well as a sea parade uh, that came together with the uh, flag raising ceremony. Uh, this is all part of the annual events on July the 1st as we mark the handover anniversary. Uh, so the rain and uh, the winds are not stopping. Uh, the I guess you could call it the festivities or the commemoration uh, for today. And uh, we're just going to be waiting to hear 
to hear from uh, Chief Executive John Lee and his uh, press conference following the departure of President Xi Jinping. Back to you guys in the studio. Emily, thank you. I can't say I fancy the staff area at this, to this point. It looks a little bit choppy for me, but thank you very much for the, the coverage uh, live from Hong Kong today. Um, Siemens says it will write down 2.8 billion euros from its third quarter earnings due to a fall in the value of its 35% stake in Siemens Energy. Siemens Energy has seen uh, quite a, a turbulent few years actually since its 2020 spin-off due to disappointing performances at its turbines unit Gamesa and the impact of Russia's invasion of Ukraine on energy prices. Shares in Siemens' US listing were down 3.6% on the news. France's second largest gas storage facility is no longer receiving gas and the distribution could last until, or disruption rather, should last until Monday because of strike action. The country's two general trade unions say workers at the Gonet gas depot located north of Paris are striking to demand higher wages. The facility's operator, Engie, says it is undergoing a long-planned maintenance without specifically mentioning the workers' strikes adding operations will be back to normal in coming days. Um, let's take a look at natural gas prices. Of course, um, we have had an extraordinary move, but look on the right-hand side of the screen. So, yeah, we're up 5%. Year-to-date, we're up 52.8%. Uh, but look at the enormous declines we've seen in the month of June um, from the highs. So nearly uh, $10 now down to 5.7 as well. So the extreme volatility we've seen um, with it seeing its worst month since December 2018 uh, is set to continue. WTI, let's have a look at WTI because um, interesting that this is the, I think it's the September contract Karen and I decided on this one as well. So that we're basically now the front month um, so it looks lower. In fact, Dan, why don't we get to you? OPEC Plus says it will stick to its plans to increase our oil output in July and August, confirming it's set to release 648,000 barrels per day uh, for both months. But the oil group uh, came short of discussing the next moves in September, despite worries it has little ability to ease out. But Dan, sorry to be a pain. Have you got any news on the, co the contract we're looking at? It's a September contract, is it? Whereas um, we haven't had a precipitous decline from 115. That was the August, was it? That's my understanding, Steve, yes. And when you look at the performance of some of these contracts, what we have seen is a really standout half year for both Brent and WTI. Brent's up around 50% YTD, in fact. So an outperformance for energy, oil and commodities broadly throughout the course of this invasion of Ukraine. But when it comes to the OPEC decision here, no real surprises, in fact. We saw the group moving to ratify this already agreed 648,000 barrels per day for August. In my view, the August meeting is probably going to be a little bit more exciting because we are going to get clarity on exactly what President Joe Biden does when he visits Saudi Arabia in just a few weeks' time. We know pressure has been mounting on these Gulf producers to pump more oil, but of course, the lack of transparency and uncertainty over just how much spare production capacity they actually have has really been a central theme this week, and indeed a central theme throughout the first half of the year as well. UAE and Saudi both under pressure to pump more, and that really came to the fore this week when we saw Emmanuel Macron in conversation with President Biden saying, look, that production capacity is probably a lot less than what the market currently believes. And as a result, Joe Biden, you cannot rely on these Gulf producers to pump more oil. 
In terms of what else we're going to be looking out for in the second half of the year, it's not just OPEC production policy. In my view, it's also going to be what's happening with demand because we are seeing China slowly but surely coming back online. The UAE energy minister has already said that if we see demands continuing to rise in this very short supply environment, then we could see price spikes over the next few months. And at the same time, we're also looking out for the impact of policy decisions from the West, from the US and elsewhere as a result of the invasion. Are we going to see this price cap on Russian crude coming forward, for example? That's a big unknown in the market. The mechanics of that particular policy tool also really being rubbish by analysts this week. A lot of uncertainty over what that's going to look like. And also on the policy front, Big questions about whether or not we're going to see some kind of a revival in the JCPOA, which could actually result in more Iranian barrels coming back to the market as well. So a lot of uncertainty for anyone trading energy or watching these contracts into the second half of the year, but indeed a pretty solid performance so far, guys. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.